Welcome to Studio B Live. Great host, David and Sherry Burns. Hi, Sherry. Hello. And uh, we're here in central Illinois, and uh, we want to thank all of our Advent listeners for listening to us again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, when you say Avid, it always sounds like you say rabid. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we apologize for not being on the air for a long time. We've been so busy, and we keep making a commitment to really stay on the ball with these podcasts so don't give up on us i know some of our listeners prefer to listen to us over rush limbaugh so they it's been so long they may have gone back to rush now so Mm. hopefully not but Mm. well we want to open up today by letting you know that it has been windy in illinois we had to go outside yesterday morning sherry and just pick everything up yeah what the winds were at sometimes over 60, 70 miles per hour, I guess. So I didn't know that you could have a hurricane right in the middle of a cornfield yeah. in the in rural Illinois. But apparently we had a hurricane that went through here. And uh, so the next day, Seth and I had to go outside and we had to pick up all, <laughs> every little scrap of everything that hadn't been tied down. It, it was blown clear across the land. We had one big container that we used to roll our beekeeping supplies around in from show to show and it the wind had picked that up and I bet it traveled do you think it traveled a half mile before it yeah almost a half mile a half mile before it finally got stuck in a creek but I found it yeah we drug it out <laughs> and it's okay and we you know we it tipped over a lot of little mating nooks even though they had big rocks on them it was it was actually we have a a wind station and it clocked the it clocks the Strongest wind, and uh, strongest wind was 68 miles an hour. Wow, that was huge, wasn't it? So we have been picking everything up and kind of getting our feet back on the ground. But it's windy today. We It calmed down last night, but then it got windy again today. So uh, it has been very unique. I think it's just a transition from fall into winter, maybe. That's what I always think. But, boy, the bees have not been flying, even though it's been nice outside. They're, it's so windy that they're just bunkered down yeah i went out to feed the chickens this morning and i barely got back oh, yeah. i i thought i needed to yell at you to throw a rope out to me so you could haul me back in it was so <laughs> yeah. it was hard the chickens are about oh they're about an eighth of a mile down the road i guess and it was just <laughs> it was hard coming straight back into that west with mm-hmm. the wind blowing like that oh yeah hey you, you want to talk about what makes us uh a Makes us different from other places, Sherry. We've we've talked about this before. You know, we um, oftentimes we'll go and think about. Well, maybe we'll go to shows or vending places, and we'll see other large beekeeping companies there, and 
And so we keep saying, you know, there's something different about us than the big boys or the big companies, and thought we uh, would just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, we were at the Missouri State Beekeeping Association meeting over the weekend in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We had a good time. We saw a lot of people that are customers and people who listen to our uh, podcasts and people who really like the website and get a lot of information off of it. So it was fun. It's fun meeting those people. But you also start to wonder what makes you different than, you know, the guy sitting next to you or the gal sitting, you know, on the other side. And I thought, you know, we ought to just tell people what makes us different. I think they don't always know. And and, uh, one of the things is that we are an actual farm. We're an actual honeybee farm. We have other animals, you know, here also. But we're not, you're not going to pull up to this great big huge warehouse or big shed that just is full of beekeeping equipment that is not who we are and it's it's important i think for our customers to understand that that's that's one thing that makes us very different um from everybody else the fact that we are a working farm and we are beekeepers and we do have you know lots and lots of hives and you're, you know, you're not going to see that in some of the other places. I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying we are a totally different. We're a totally different, different company. Yeah. yeah, a different approach. And I think sometimes there might be some customers who go, well, I don't think they can provide the service that I need. When in fact, I think they might find it superior because we approach it in such a different manner than the big warehouse guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Um, I think it has to do with a personal touch, too. We try our level best to give a real personal touch to all the customers that call in and start beekeeping. And, you know, we we try to be there the best we can, either through emails or uh, phone conversations. And Sherry and I have already spent some time this year thinking about how are we going to deal with trying to get all everything, you know, in production and taking care of it, but at the same time, talking on the phone and answering questions because we do a lot of that. And so, um, you know, we still want our customers to be able to call in and ask questions. Um, but obviously, we can't spend all day on the phone, but we, we do. We, we make a commitment to really answer questions, give people a, a personal feel of who we are. And, and we think that's important. We are beekeepers, and I'm a master beekeeper. So when you call in, we're going to give you real good advice that is based on scientific studies, not just opinions or what's going on in our yard, but really, you know, good wisdom about how to make your hive as productive as it can be. So we hope that you will really consider being a customer and a friend of Long Lane Honeybee Farms because we could really appreciate uh, meeting you. Yeah, another thing that makes us different, I think, also, too, is the fact that here we actually go into schools and do classroom presentations. Um, We actually teach ag classes on beekeeping in local schools. And uh, we we like to meet the people when they get here and, and stand around and talk and maybe, you know, share a glass of lemonade and and be able to then be there for you for the rest of the year, take little tours around the place. We don't have a big place, that's for sure, but we can certainly do all that. Um, What else makes us different? Well, David tells lousy jokes. (laughs) 
<laughs> that makes us different. And and Sherry makes good vittles. So when people come here to to take classes, we actually have classes right here. Then you get a you get a really good lunch mm-hmm. with it too. What else makes yeah. us different? Uh, let's see. Sometimes I tell good jokes, <laughs> and those are fun. Are you going to tell the one that you told? No, Saturday? no. Tell that, tell, <laughs> tell that joke? Haven't I told it before? Oh. Let me think. I think I have. Okay, that's fine. Maybe I haven't. Let's tell it. All right. All right. Well, these two beekeepers were way up in age, you know, and they knew each other from their local association. And, uh, you know, they'd both lost their spouses, and so they were just considering, you know, uh, getting married for companionship in their old age, and so they did. They got married, and and so when they went to the hotel that night, they... Uh, for their honeymoon, you know, they uh, began to get ready for bed, and so the uh, the the lady took off her wig and opened up a drawer and took off her wig and put it in the drawer, and then she took out her false teeth and put it in the drawer, and then she took off a prosthesis that she had and put it in a drawer, and took her hearing aids out and put it in the drawer, and the the man said he didn't know whether to get in the drawer or get in the bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need something. But that, that's one of those jokes that really doesn't, you know, it wasn't really beekeepers, but you can put beekeepers, <laughs> like two beekeepers died and went to heaven. I mean, you can make any anything a beekeeping joke, right? <laughs> that's true. Okay, well, you know, I mentioned that Missouri conference that so we went to um, last Saturday. We'll actually be at the Illinois State Beekeeping Association um, a week from Saturday, which is what, November the 6th, yep. something like that. So yep. we'll also be there, and you're going to be talking. Let's see, you spoke several times at the Missouri one, and I think you speak, do you speak a couple times at the Illinois one? I think one? just once, yeah. One, once at the um, On Illinois one. And, uh, but you know, the one thing that people bought tons of Saturday were those candy boards. Yeah. And that's what we want to talk about today in our equipment section of the hive. We have several uh, things that we want to bring up over the next few months in our podcast regarding equipment and answer some of your questions about equipment. But today I want to talk about candy boards because we feel that candy boards are essential to winter survival. And so uh, we spend a lot of time making candy boards. We have experimented with different uh, temperatures and different types of candies to get it all just right. And so when we're talking about candy boards, we're talking about a board that looks much like your inner cover, only it doesn't have the oval-shaped hole in it. And uh, it is designed so that candy can be poured on the top of it. And with that candy on the top, you place it in the hive right above the winter cluster. And then uh, you have it with a candy facing down and as a result the bees will all go right up to it and begin eating away at the candy and this candy board uh, we say that you should probably put them on by December the 22nd but certainly you can put them on earlier if you think your bees are hurting uh, for you know the proper amount of uh, nutrition that they need right now it wouldn't hurt a thing 
In fact, Sherry, I did that. I put a candy board on a hive probably about, oh, maybe two or three weeks ago. Maybe not three weeks, but two weeks ago. And I'm really surprised because they've eaten about three-fourths of that candy board. And they devoured the entire pollen patty, which really surprised me. Uh, it had a, pat, a pollen patty built into the candy. And they totally consumed it. And it was like, wow. I knew they were low. And so I just wanted to put it on there for fun. So if your bees are needing nutrition, this is really a good way to feed bees. Now, we have a website, uh, a web page that's nothing but answers about candy boards. Is that what you're looking for now? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And um, so on this website, on this web page that we have, it answers all the questions about candy boards. Tons of questions that are answered right there. And we have a picture of one. But one of the questions that people ask is, you know, what about the moisture in the hive, the winter moisture, the condensation? And we tell people, you know, that works to your advantage. In the past, we've been reluctant to uh, allow winter condensation to develop on the top cover. But now, as the water kind of accumulates on the candy board, it makes that candy board more digestible for the bees. And so we, we uh, really promote that letting that candy board stay on there all winter long. And don't really worry about the upper ventilation unless you have something where you want your bees to get out, and that's fine. But, you know, some of you up north and northern states really have to, well, you have a lot of snow and you have to have an upper ventilation. So you can certainly utilize that. But um, these candy boards that we make have five pounds of sugar that's boiled and melted down. And uh, then it's poured on top of a the board that we make for it to house the candy as the candy hardens. And then you just put it on the hive, the candy facing down. And uh, so really you should check these out. We sell these for about 20 bucks a piece, 27 if you want a pollen patty embedded in the sugar. And that's really nice too. So um, we highly recommend candy boards for overwintering your bees. Sherry, anything you have a question about? Well, I wanted to know, um, I'm looking for the exact lesson. Do you know what it is? Um, once you buy a candy board, then you can see how it's all put together and how it all works, and you get all those nice little instructions on how to do it. And then once the bees have eaten all that and you need to fill it up again, then you can go to our blog spot at this is the address for it again, in case you haven't <laughs> stumbled upon that yet. Basicbeekeeping.blogspot.com. Lesson number 68 tells you how to make that candy recipe. But we will be glad to refill it for you if you just want to send it back to us, and we will um, make the candy ourselves. Because I know a lot of people don't have the time to sit there and do that. And I'll tell you what, David makes these all day long and the house is all steamed up <laughs> and there's condensation dripping off the windows and we haven't turned our furnace on for days so <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that or not but that's oh. what it's like around here yeah you know some, one guy told me at the Missouri that he tries to make them but he can't get his stove that hot oh yeah he said he had an electric range and it just wouldn't bring it up he could only bring it up to about two hundred and ten or two hundred and thirty. He couldn't get it up to two hundred and fifty degrees. 
Well, I guess that makes sense. Really? Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. So for well, maybe maybe it was his stove, you know. But yeah, you you are going to have to bring it to about 250 to 255 degrees, and to give you some idea, that's 40 degrees above boiling. Yeah, I think that's the difference between electric and gas stoves. Yeah, you know, a lot of people who cook a lot mm-hmm. and make candy, and people who are chefs and people like that usually cook mm-hmm. with gas. So I think that's why because you can make the heat do what you want it to do. That's true. So don't think these, you know, you may not save yourself a ton of money by making your own. You know, the price of propane, I mean, like, they had to rebuild our propane tank because we built so many candy boards. (laughs) They had to put a new regulator on it and put new (laughs) O-rings in it. You know, you burn through a lot of gas making these things. So uh, consider that before you go crazy and make, you know, a 100 of them for all your hives that, whether it's electric or propane, it might cost you a little bit to, to heat that up. It, it's quite a job. So check that out. And Sherry's right. We do have the recipe on there on lesson number 68. So we wanted to talk about candy boards as part of our equipment today. Okay. Well, you know, after we talk about candy boards, why don't you skip down and talk about your your seasonal suggestions here since candy boards are for the wintertime what else should we be doing for the winter? These, these seasonal suggestions. Seasonal suggestions. Now that it's fall and we're getting cooler at night, the bees aren't as active anymore. And here in Illinois, we do not have any more nectar. Um, enough, enough frosts have, in cold weather has done away with all the flowers. So the bees are just going to, they're living on what's in the hive now. And so... But there are some things you need to prepare for. And one of the things that I would encourage you to consider is make sure you're mouse-proof. That was in my last beekeeping blog where I said make sure you mouse-proof your hive. A lot of ways to do it. They sell a lot of different kinds of mouse-proofing devices to put on the front of your hive. All the hives that we sell come with an entrance cleat, an entrance reducer. And that does a, you know, a pretty good, if not complete, um, effective way of keeping the mice out and allows the bees to fly out. Set it to the smallest opening. But you know you can do other things too. You can buy. Um, you can each, you can make your own if you're pretty crafty with metal. Take a little thin piece of metal and drill maybe uh, about a quarter inch holes in the metal across and just tack it to the front of your hives. The bees can fly through those quarter inch holes but the mice can't get through. You can take an old queen excluder and you could um you if you wanted to, you could set your deep your you know, put that on your bottom board and set all your hives on top of the queen excluder and you keep the mouse out. So there's a lot of things you can do, but be advised a mouse will go into a hive and devastate it. She will raise her young in there. They will eat the comb, the bees, the honey, and so it is It is pretty tough. So think about that when you uh, are getting ready for mouse-proofing your hive. Make sure the mice can't get into it. Thanks, Seth. Okay, Sherry said, uh, we're going to give some away. You think? <laughs> are you thinking about giving a couple of the mouse guards away? Yeah, we have. Yeah, let's just give away two mouse guards. So I think that... If you are the first person to either email David at david at honeybeesonline.com or you could give us a call at 217-427-2678. 
and say that you're calling for a mouse guard and the first two people will give we'll give you one. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> first two people get a free mouse guard. Now we're not gonna be able to send it probably out of the country, right? Right. I'm sorry. They have to stay right here in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So those of you that want a mouse guard, and that is the metal one with the little holes in it, the first two callers or the first two people to email me will send those out to you free just for listening today. So do think about how to get your season, uh, your hives ready for the season. And uh, if you still need to feed your hives, uh, it is important to feed them a heavy concentration of sugar water. That's two to one. Two parts sugar to one part water by weight. Water and sugar weighs about the same. So, uh, you know, if, if you're going to mix them and uh, feed them, I, w- I would suggest you feed them heavily. Um, you know, if you can put a pail feeder, a top feeder, if it's not real cold, don't use an entrance feeder. They may come and rob uh, the hive from other hives, so be careful about that. But uh, a top feeder or a pail feeder on top of the hive can do wonders to beef up your hive if they're a little bit low on on honey stores. We're talking about the winter. Why don't you talk about the two things that I think we deal with? Well, there's more than two, but the two of the main things that we're going to talk about today that we deal with the most at Mm -hmm. this time of year. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is what we're calling pest and disease. Uh, each uh, podcast we want to touch on pest and disease. And one of the things that uh, we saw a lot of this year in our apiary, especially our small mating nook boxes, were the wax moths. It was a real hot summer, and so the wax moths fly in there at night, lay eggs, and uh, larvae creep out. It's really bad. So we have a, a lesson on wax moths. If you want to read that on our blog, you can. A complete lesson on how to prevent it and what to do if you get them. And I've got special uh, temperatures. You can freeze your comb so that you kill all stages of the wax moth. But I know some of you are going into winter probably with combs that, that uh, in your hive right now that may still have some wax moth eggs on it. Um, and you might see that again. Um, not so bad now that it's getting cooler, but next next summer there'll probably be a problem again. Um, but we've we've talked about mice. That's a big pest, so don't let mice overwinter in your hives. It's hard to overwinter bees when you have mice in there, and it's also um, uh, hard to overwinter bees if they've already had a big dose of wax moth destroy the. Uh, you know, the hive and, and weaken the hive. But wax moths are generally only found in very weak hives. So if your hive has wax moth and you're going into the winter, it tells you more, you know, than, than what you probably want to know. But it means that your hive is weak. That's why the wax moth kind of took off and became a problem. So uh, do watch the mice. Keep them out. And, if, and I want to tell you, before you seal off your hive, look in there. Like, at least look in the bottom board with a flashlight or something to make sure there's not mice already in there. If, you, if, you've, if you've neglected to seal off your hive um, and it's already been some cold nights, there may be mice in there. So run those out before you seal them off or you're going you're gonna to seal them in there. 
Another section that we're going to add to our podcast is called Beginner's Briefing. Beginner's Briefing. So every, you know, every podcast we're going to have these segments so we can touch at least, uh, you know, people that are going through different things. And we know we have beginners that are looking at uh, how to be a best beekeeper now that they're just getting started. And so one of the things that I thought I'd do for Beginner's Briefing. Beginner's Briefing is give some information that would stretch the beginner to know more about their hive and also to help them understand um, bees and bee biology a little more too. Sherry, have you noticed how when you look at a frame, if you were to hold it sideways and, and look this way down the comb, that the cells are at an angle? Have you ever noticed that? Yes, I have. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. So they're, yeah. you're saying they're... Well, I guess that would make sense because you wouldn't want the honey to drip out. Yeah. I mean, although, does a bee think that way? Well, yeah, they do, actually. Yeah, but there's another reason, too. When they put brood in the cell and the, bu- and the, uh, the brood begins to go from larva to a pupa stage, if it was straight out, then the pupa could... Fall out. Fall out. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Hey, I I think, you know, I think I'm going to submit this for a master beekeeper question. Yeah, this, this, here's, here's the way the master beekeeper test would be really good. It could say, what is the degree of angle that cells are placed in the comb? Yeah, that would be good. See, there's actually an answer. Yeah, it is. Oh. Nine to 14 degrees. And then the other part of that question would be, why is the angle built into the comb? Give two reasons, and you just you just gave one, and I gave one. You know, to keep the honey from dripping out, and also to keep the pupa from <laughs> falling out. I don't know if the pupa would fall out, but that is that is one of the technical answers, really, in in my reading that I was doing. So a lot of beekeepers don't realize that, and that becomes important when you're spinning honey out, because if you're spinning it with um, um, a radial spinner, your your frames are sticking, they're in there straight. And so if you put them the wrong way with the with the combs facing, with the, the angle facing the center of the, of the centrifuge, then it wouldn't spin it out as, as well. But if they're facing outward, it slings it out of the cell. I know it's confusing, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is confusing because don't you just put them in according to where the top of the frame is? Yeah, but see, you need to put, and this is this is not, there's two types of extractors. One, they sit flat, so they spin and rotate against the wall. And like ours is called radial, which means they sit long ways. They spin like this. <laughs> Everybody see this? <laughs> but so if you put it in there, you want to put the top of the frame facing outward. And that makes the angle, the 9 to 14 degree angle, facing outwards. So the honey slings out of the cell. But if you put it in wrong with that, with that angle facing the inside of the extractor and it spins it, you're working against the angle. You're holding it in. I, I wish I could explain that better. I need a picture or something. But um, 9 to 14 degrees is how they build that. B- bees are smart, aren't they? Yeah, that's very specific. Yeah, and let's see. Also, um, I love talking about this. Mites prefer to to go in, in inside and lay their young in dark comb. Mm. Well, isn't it interesting that queens prefer to lay in new comb? Mm. 
Now, Sherry, this is cool. Listen to this. In the natural, in nature, bees will raise their brood, and as they do, and the brood emerges, then you know what they do? They go back and fill that brood frame up with honey. They turn it into a honeycomb. They typically don't reuse brood comb for brood in the natural. But because we run Langstroth's hives, we force them to continue to reuse their brood box over and over again. And what we do is make them use brand new comb for honey. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't want people to freak out and say, oh my gosh, we're doing it all wrong. Because we've done it this way for over 150 years. Yeah. But and what else are you going to do? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, we do recommend people change out or, you know, scrape off the old comb after it gets terribly black and dark. But comb it, comb absorbs a lot of the heavy metals that might be around or in the hive, chemicals. If mites prefer that, that it would just make sense that those small hive beetles do too, right? I mean, because they, they like all that dark. They like to be in the dark. Yeah, they do. Yeah, small hive beetle like debris, dark, dirty, you know, <laughs> the ground they pupate in. The larva goes in ground to pupate. So a small high beetle can actually pupate on a solid bottom board if there's a lot of debris on it. They don't have to go outside the hive. Um, so those are some interesting facts. In fact, I had a gentleman, I mentioned this in my talk in Missouri, and a gentleman questioned me about it. He, he, he felt like his queens do better on dark comb. But the studies show they actually do better on new comb. They lay better. They prefer, there's a lot of cocoon skins that remain in those old combs too. Um, and so the cell gets smaller and smaller. And when the queen measures it and it's too small, she won't lay in it. Yeah. Huh. So that's something new maybe for beginners. Be 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 beginners briefing. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I even. You don't think? I, I, I stumped think you, huh? Yeah. All right. I think I knew that. <laughs> okay, Sherry, here's another section that we're going to do. We have, we've added all these little sections uh, to our podcast. Magnificent mistake. Magnificent mistake. So if you if you've been following along, we have equipment, pest and disease, beginners briefing, seasonal suggestions, magnificent mistakes. And we want you to write in and tell us your most magnificent mistakes. <laughs> but I want to talk about one that people really do so often, and here it is. They take their honey super off because it wasn't really all the way full. And they think, well, I, I'll save this for next winter. And so they take it off, you know, in the fall. It's not all the way filled up, maybe three or four frames, and they're not sealed. But it's drawn out and got some honey in there, some nectar. So they'll put it in a trash bag and twirl it around and tie it off and put it in their garage. Well, Sherry, what, what might happen in the late winter and spring when they open it up? Well, as a brand new beekeeper, I would say... That sounds like a perfectly good thing to do. It does. But what they didn't realize is, if they had wax moths in the hive in the summer, she laid in all that comb and all that honey that's sitting there. And now that they're not protected by the bees, and you put it in a trash bag, in a warm garage, boom. Ooh, I can tell you what happens, because that's the mm. same thing. Ladies don't always realize this, but have you ever gone women to your your cabinets and you open up a cabinet and all of a sudden you got these little moths come flying out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's because a lot of that flowery stuff that you buy, um, you, you've got to 
take care of any kind of um, eggs. bugs, eggs yeah. that, that are in it when you buy it at the grocery store. I know that sounds gross, and you're thinking, what, what? Which is one reason why people try to eat as natural as possible. But you get flour like that, and, uh-huh. then, and then there's other kinds of <coughs> cereal that, you uh-huh. know, maybe some cereal the kids never do want to eat, and you just leave it sitting in there, or, I don't know, crackers and things like that, and you, you get those little... You know, those eggs to hatch and out come those little moths. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, do you know what I do when I bring home my flour and stuff like that? Yeah, actually I do, but tell everyone. Well, I freeze it first. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that maybe you would not have a problem with your supers if you... Ta-ta-da-ta! Here we go, drum roll. If you freeze them first? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. you got to do it. A freezer is a beekeeper's best friend because don't take a chance. If you're going to put that, su- you want that super to be good in the spring or next summer, uh, you can freeze it frame at a time. But remember, if you don't put the whole box in there, the, the eggs are probably laid against the outside wall of the box or in the corner of the box. Oh, you got to put the entire box in yeah. there, too, not just the frames. Well, I can't imagine anybody, honey, ha- has enough room to put a whole super in a freezer. Or they need to eat their ice cream in a hurry. Mm. Or, you know what, you can, those great big chest freezers, if you just look around, oh, yeah. people are giving those things away. That's how we got ours. Oh. Somebody ditched it. It's a real nice one, but they didn't want it. And I said, oh, I'll take it to freeze some frames. Right, so we can we can stack up three or four supers or more in that. Oh, so just more. look around. People people give those things away, but but can you do it? Well, I mean, I don't. You wouldn't know when it would happen if it ever happened. But I guess the same thing is, you know, if it was zero degrees mm-hmm. outside, you could just go outside and put them in the snow, right? Yeah, that's what we do for the most part. We just leave all of our boxes outside, and it gets really cold here in Illinois, and zap, they're gone. You know. Well, you don't mean you leave supers full of honey sitting outside. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> I stumped the Master Beekeeper. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think that, uh, I think that I have done that, Sherry. Not not really heavily filled, but I've got some supers out there that I'm, yeah, that's okay. not, not a lot, but some. But you wouldn't do it when it's 60 degrees outside like it is now, because then wouldn't you encourage robbing and stuff? Yeah, you would. You get into this time of the year, the robbing's over pretty much because we're so late in the season and nights are cool. They don't fly much, you know. It's just that beginning of, well, it's kind of like the end of the foraging. And when foraging is over, you don't have to worry about robbing. But when it's still going on, it's still there. But you're right, yeah. Well, anyway, all you have to do is make sure you put lids and things in between. Mm -hmm. You know, we got some, what what were those nuts that you got from the Amish that were full of those bugs? No, I think just walnuts. Or something. Yeah, they were walnuts. And I said to Sherry, I said, wow, we bought a whole bag of walnuts from, you know, an Amish store near us. And we kept them in the cabinet. Wasn't very long. You only had them a couple of weeks, didn't you? And they were full of moths. Mm-hmm. And I said to Sherry, wow, all they had to do is freeze them for 24 hours because where they were harvesting their walnuts, the wax moths were using that to, to try to eat or do something, I guess, and they laid eggs on them and... Mm-hmm. Poof, there you go. You have to throw them out now because they're crawling with moth larvae. Mm-hmm. They could have just frozen them 24 hours and it wouldn't have hurt a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, magnificent mistake. That's a magnificent mistake to make is to take your super off without freezing it 
and just wrapping it up in a bag and letting the wax moth eat it in when they start to grow. So freeze it first to kill the wax moth. Okay, so and if you have a magnificent mistake that you want to tell us about, you can email us once again at david at honeybeesonline.com or I guess you could even call in and and leave it on the answer machine or something. But that would be fun. That would be fun to go through and listen to what all the dumb things that we've all done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah well. and we'll use your name and your last name and your address <laughs> so people can call you. No, we won't do any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, that'd be good so that we can we can all learn from each other's mistakes. The reason I call them magnificent mistakes is because when you make a big one, you learn, yeah. and they become magnificent teachers. You know, <laughs> I'll never do that again. That was a big mistake. You, they're they're magnificent because you learn. Hey, what about but, this, Sherry? Oh, you got something else? Well, I was just going to say, I think you use magnificent mistake because M starts with magnificent and M starts with mistake. Yeah, and look at seasonal, seasonal suggestions. Seasonal suggestions and beginner's briefing. See, those all start with, so that's why you said magnificent mistake. Yeah, I don't have anything for pests and diseases. We'll think of something. <laughs> equipment needs a an E mm-hmm. adjective. Is that what that is? Or some kind of word to go before equipment. Okay. <laughs> but I was going to say something. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, it, you know, we used to have people call in and we would we would play their little recording and then answer their questions. Do you think we can do that again? you think we can have people call in and... Yeah, they they need to do it on that second line. Well, why don't you just let them do it on the first line and pick a day where they can do it? We don't answer the phone much on the weekend. Would that work? Like if they call, you know, Saturday or Sunday? Mm, no. Why not? Because then the phone would ring all day long on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, I don't think it would be that many. It rings all day long on Saturday and Sunday. People call us all day long on Saturday and Sunday. Okay. You do whatever you want. Hey, let's do that. Let's try for this Saturday, which is going to be, what's the date? October the 20th. Oh, it's October 30th. Plus, everybody's not trick-or-treating. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't know. But call us this Saturday, anytime you want to, on Saturday. We won't answer the phone, but the answer machine will pick it up. And then you can leave your magnificent mistake you made. Or if you have a question. You can ask a question, and what we'll do, we'll play your question on our next podcast and answer it. Here's the number, 217-427-2678, 217-427-2678, and call anytime this Saturday, October 30th, 217-427-2678. Okay, so what's around the corner at Long Lane Honeybee Farms? Did you all... Look on the website and see all of the classes for 2000, the end of 2010 and 2011. They're all on the website, and we've got people already signing up for them. So if you're interested, you need to start looking at those. Uh, we have two different segments. One of them is our regular um, all-day classes, beginners, basic beginners classes, advanced classes, and queen-rearing classes just like we have every year. And I think we probably have doubled up because some of those classes get to be huge and they just get a little bit too big. And so we've had to double up on some of those classes. The queen-rearing ones you need to sign up for because those we already have people you know, planning on camping out the whole weekend <laughs> for true. those two-day classes. What does double up mean? I, I don't understand. We have twice as many classes probably as oh, we have oh, had in the past okay. because we double up made me think you had, we had to put two classes together, double up. Oh. But you mean 
the opposite, kind of divide them out to more classes. Okay. Do we, do we made more classes, folks, yeah. in case anybody didn't know what I meant. So we have those, those same day-long classes, but then we added something this year that's really, really special, and I think it's going to be really, really exciting. We, we have got two-hour short classes the first, I believe it's the first Friday mm-hmm. night of every month in the year. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound like fun mm-hmm. to come out here on a Friday night, you know, and hang out with some other beekeeper friends just for a couple hours? So it's not like you're putting a huge investment of time into it or a huge investment of money or anything like that. We're just, you know, it's, they're going to be informal type classes, but they're, the subjects matters are not something that you would find in either basic beekeeping classes or advanced classes, You'd because find them, well maybe, but, not but they're specific. very they're very specialized yeah. type things, and so you probably wouldn't find. Um, you might find some of them in classes, but you probably wouldn't find them to the extent that well, we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're not going to spend. We can't spend two hours in our classes. Uh, talking about these subjects, so a lot of people wanted to know more about this, and, I, and so we said, oh, "Wow, how can we teach people more about specific things about beekeeping?" And we said, "Let's have a two-hour first Friday of every month, first Friday night of every month, two hours special on different topics that people want to get into." So we have a whole list of these cool topics, and December is coming right up. In fact, December the third is our first one. We hope you'll join us. Um, for December 3rd class, the short one. And uh, it's going to be on... Candle making, cooking with honey, and sampling honey. December 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. That's Central Time. For those of you who live in Indiana and East Wards. Um, but that's, you know, that's going to be fun because we have got... Um, We've got a friend who makes candles, and she's going to show us how to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we are going to we're going to make several different recipes with honey, and we're going to taste the recipes with honey. So you get to eat that night too. And then on top of that, you get to sample honey from all sorts of different kinds of varietal honeys. So you might as well come hungry, I guess, that night. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to do the Julian Childs thing where you, you make something and you put it in the oven, but you take it out already cooked. Well, it's Julia Child. What did I say? <laughs> you said Julian Child. Oh, but Julian could be her proper name. Well, I know. Julian's a guy's name. Oh. But Julia Child. <laughs> she yeah. did have a kind of a masculine voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did. Um, she talked like this. <laughs> she talked like this. And she was tall. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but some of those will have to because one of the things I was thinking about making was showing them how to make homemade bread with yeah. honey. And uh, there's no way we can get that done in two hours. But that's what we'll do. We'll start making it, and then I'll just reach under the table and pull up a whole loaf that's already done. I'll pretend there's an oven under the table. Yeah. And then I'll just pull it up and see, ta-da, That'd here it cool. is. But, um so we'll make several things like that. That'd be good. That'd be that'd be fun. But let me read through some of these other classes, like mead making. We've never made mead before. And what's the date of that one? That's January the seventh. And um, you know, there are some people who want to know how to make it. That's you know, it, maybe you don't, and that's not anything that we're dying over here to <laughs> to have tons of either. But people want to know how to do it. Um, February is how to make cream honey. Now, David has got some in March and April and May. Oh, there's a telephone. 
in March. Shall I get it? I can go get it. You can keep talking. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, in March and April and May, he has got some um, more s- specific things to actually beekeeping. Uh, for instance, pests and diseases in the hive, diagnosis and treatment. That We do go over that briefly in the beginner's class, and we go into that with a little bit more depth in the advanced class. But this is just going to be two hours of pests and diseases. So if that's something that's troubling you, you can see that in April. It's swarm prevention and bee removal. And we actually um, are going to have a, a construction guy that's going to be here, and, and we're going to talk about how you actually remove you know, the siding or remove the drywall or remove the bricks or whatever it is in order to get in there and, and get the bees and show you the different ways that people actually collect the swarms. And, uh, and then in May is how to make and keep an observation hive, which n- numerous people have asked us um, to do that because people are more and more interested in doing that either for their homes or their getaway homes or, or um, um, in nature centers and those kinds of things. Uh, June is marketing your honey, and uh, we have got some really neat information on that, you know, especially with the new artisan kinds of honey and some of the ideals that go along with that. And then in July is honey extraction and filtering and bottling honey. So we'll be going through all those. Those are all topics that, that you might hit on briefly in a beginner's class and might hit on briefly in an advanced class. But like David said, you would never spend two hours in a beginner's class or two hours in an advanced class talking about these different things. So this goes into a lot more depth on how you do some of this sort of stuff. But I also want to point out, too, that if you know nothing about beekeeping, you can come to these classes but we're not going to talk about beekeeping in those classes. So if you need to know how to keep bees, you need to sign up for a basic beginner's class. And then you can take these little two-hour courses along with it at the same time. But, you know, for instance, when we talk about pests and diseases in the hive and somebody raises their hand and says, yeah, I don't understand what a drone is, you know, we're not going to be talking about that. You know, this is just pests and diseases, so you need to come probably with some more knowledge than um, a novice would have for something something like pets and pests and diseases. But several of these classes are good for spouses who really aren't beekeepers and don't want to be beekeepers and have no intentions of being beekeepers, but they like to do other stuff with honey and products from the hive. And so there's some spouses, and I'm not going to say women because a lot of guys l- enjoy learning how to cook with a honey and a lot of guys enjoy working with beeswax and doing you know doing the different you know making the different products that you can make with um, beeswax and and that sort of stuff so you don't have to be a beekeeper to come to any of those Um, just somebody who who knows how to get your hands on honey and how to get your hands on beeswax and and uh, also we think that probably age eight and up would be perfectly fine to come too because a lot of you know a lot of kids enjoy learning how to do the candle making we'll have you know we'll actually do a little a little of this and you know some of the kids enjoy you know doing the honey extraction and that and that sort of thing but I'm sure that there will be a limit on the number of people in the classes so you you do want to get your name on the list and make sure you sign, if you've got several people in your family, you need to sign up several people in your family so that we know that we've got enough room here and know when to cut off the registration. So, how's that? Oh, that's good. I'm glad you took us through that. That's great. 
Well, the last thing we want to do is talk about some emails that we received from people. Okay, here's an email from Chris. He says, Hi, David and Sherry. My name is Chris. I live in South Africa and recently discovered your blog. I really enjoy reading your lessons. It is really informative and has taught me a lot about bees. My dad used to practice beekeeping when I was very young. He did this as a hobby. He only had four hives. My dad is a firm believer of the medicinal uses of honey. He uses it for every pain and ache. He even put it on his eyes when they burn. He had to move to a new city about 700 kilometers from where we are. The bees had to stay behind, so my dad gave all his highs and equipment to a friend. This is now 20 years later, and we have decided to get back in the bee game. We bought two hives and all the kit we need. We even built our own bee vacuum. We removed six hives from buildings and power boxes last year, but none of them stayed with us. My dad does not understand what we're doing wrong as we had never in the past had as many problems with bees not staying. I've read a lot about bees over the past year and they are really fascinating creatures. Our spring has just started and the bees are all in the trees around us. We have caught our first swarm for the season a week ago, but they only stayed two days when they took off. I will definitely apply all of the lessons that I've learned on your blog to the next swarm we catch. I will also let you know if we have success. Uh, please let me know if there are any places you know of in South Africa where I can buy bees because I just can't find any. Well, I, I'm not sure about South Africa, but I assume uh, that uh, there's going to be Africanized bees there. And I suspect these Africanized bees are more pr prone to swarm. You know, that's, that's the nature characteristics of an Africanized hive. They love to swarm. Um, maybe you can solve this problem, Chris. Uh, if you catch the swarm and you place them in a hive box that already has some drawn comb in it, or if you can put some comb from another hive that has some larvae in it, maybe the bees would be less apt to leave if they need to care for some open larvae, feed some open larvae. I think if you're placing the swarms on undrawn foundation, that's going to be uh, a reason why they may leave. If you can block off the entrance again for, you know, 24 hours uh, after you place them in there, that would be good too. Don't let them overheat, um, but if you can kind of restrict their entrance so they can't get out very easily for uh, at least a day, that might be an advisable thing to do as well. So let me know how that works out for you in South Africa, Chris. And uh, if you're listening to this, be sure and email us and let us know if you do have Africanized bees in your area. We'd like to hear from you. Okay, and here's an email from our friend Nick. He is the gentleman off the Dutch coast, and he says, I still love to listen to your podcast. May I take this opportunity to thank you and Sherry for making so much information available to beekeepers all over the world. I think what you both do is amazing. Thank you, Nick. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. Uh, we find it amazing that we can do it. <laughs> and and uh, speaking of podcasts, we are working on uh, getting uh, our podcasts into iTunes to make it even more easier for all of you with iPods and uh, iPhones and iPads. And so uh, we're just tweaking some files, and that should be arriving on, into iTunes uh, probably within the next week or two. 
So we want to thank you all for listening today to our beekeeping podcast that we are going to really try hard to do weekly. And remember, if you'd like to call in with a magnificent mistake you've made, call us this Saturday and leave an answering machine message. We will play it in our next podcast with an answer and an encouragement to you. The number to call is 217-427-2678. Check out our website at honeybeesonline.com or our beekeeping lessons at basicbeekeeping.blogspot.com. This is David and Sherry Burns from Long Lane Honeybee Farms encouraging you to behave yourself.